Well, good morning to each of you. Greetings in the name of Jesus, the one that's the reason that we are here. Not all of us are here. Remember, the older ones are not able to be. A few in my family were feeling just a little bit off from normal, and so they stayed home. A number of Ellis's family, James's, and I guess Rebecca were out, were or are out in Minnesota. And I believe Lauren was on his way to Ohio to visit somebody special there today. We are glad we can gather together here and look into the scripture. I have a question that I'd like you to think about. It's a very simple question. But when you pray, how do you end your prayers? We usually end it in four words most of the time. The same. What are those four words? Why? I'd like to look a little bit at the name of Jesus, and we'll, we'll come back to this question here later. But I was made to ponder again and... As we think of the name of Jesus, what is in that name and how many times we are called to, to think of the name of Jesus or use the name of Jesus, turn to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 to 25 of Matthew 1. Here we have the introduction to the name Jesus, to Jesus in his name, the importance of it. <clears throat> now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the, of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, is, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. There was a very clear direction given to Joseph prior to the birth of of this child. His name is to be Jesus. What does Jesus mean? 
The name Jesus was a Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. Who of you knows what that word means? If you look at it in the Hebrew, it's got half of Jehovah and the word for saves. Jehovah saves. And into Hebrew, Jesus. This name, Jesus, is referred to, mentioned over 325 times in the books of Acts through Revelation. And it's a lot more than that in the Gospels because it's talking specifically in the story and the accounts of Jesus. So there it's a lot. But the other places it's referring to him many, many times. Often it's preceded by or followed by the name Christ. What does the term Christ mean? Anyone? very, very similar to the word anointed. And it comes, if you go back to Hebrew, because what we're dealing with is a Hebrew Old Testament, a Greek New Testament, and we'll get into translations. Our Bible is English, so we have something different yet. But the term anointed in the Old Testament the Hebrew word Mashiach was translated anointed like 35 times. And two times in the book of Daniel it's translated Messiah, the anointed one. As you think back on Old Testament accounts, who were the ones that were anointed? Who did Samuel go to anoint? The king. The kings were anointed. Israel's kings were anointed by God, by the prophets. They were separated, called to a specific task. So the Messiah would be the anointed one, God's special king. That one that was, was anointed for a purpose. In fulfillment of his covenant with David that one of his line would sit on the throne forever. So in Greek we have anointed as the word creo, and Christos would be the anointed, that special anointed one. The anointed one by whom Jehovah saves. That's when you see Jesus Christ. He is the anointed one by whom God brings us salvation. It's interesting to, to study and think about things. You know, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. He doesn't talk about himself as being a king. But someone has said, you know, the term Christ basically means king. Because it stood for the one that was anointed. So while we don't have King Jesus recorded in the, in the New Testament as such, wherever it says Jesus Christ, it could basically be inferred there. 
I'd like to look at a few places where we have the importance of the name of Jesus and what it signifies brought to our attention. In John chapter 20, Apostle John is summing up this writing. And he ends here in verse 30 and 31. It says, In many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. You know, we could spend weeks going through the scriptures and examining the person and work of Jesus, who he was, what he did, why he did it, and I'm not going to do all that this morning. But very briefly, I wrote down you know, a quick synopsis of, of his life in a few phrases, and then I realized that I had basically written down the Apostles' Creed, or at least a good deal of it. I don't know how many are familiar with that, but it's a short statement attributed to the apostles as kind of a basic understanding of, of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And there's a little bit more to it, but that's what we're looking at. We're looking at, at Jesus, this central part that takes up a large portion of this creed. Do we believe in Jesus? What makes him special? We think of the significance of names, and the scripture brings that to light. Sometimes I wonder whether the name was significant because of the person it was given to, or if the person was that way because of their name. But it is a very important thing to understand that names have significance. And here we saw that, that Jesus was to be called Jesus because of his calling. It seems that many understood that a name was very important. And if you go to the, to the book of Acts, in verse, uh, well, in chapter 4, verses 6 to 12, the, Jew, uh, the Jewish council had apprehended the, uh, I think it was Peter and John, and brought them there, and it says in verse 6, And Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when he had set them in the midst, the disciples, they asked, By what power? Or by what name? And I found that very interesting because they attributed something to a name, a person. 
They were able to heal a man, and then they had preached, and many were saved. By what power or by what name? They recognized that there was power in a name, in what the name represented. By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Shortly thereafter, in chapter 5, another run-in with the council there. In verse 40 it says, And they, to him they agreed, talking about Gamaliel, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. How quick is the name of Jesus on your tongue? Throughout your day, as you meditate on life and on the goodness of God, on the working of God, on the toughness of your circumstances, on whatever there is to think about, do you think about Jesus? Do you think about the name of Jesus and the power that that brings when his name is invoked? There is great power in using the name of Jesus. And men here later on in Acts saw that. In Acts 19... There, was, there were miracles being done. The name of Jesus was being used. And in verse 13, it says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. They saw that there was power in this name, and so they went to an evil spirit. They worked with other spirits as well. And they had said... We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. That's what these people were doing. It says, And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. I guess the, the idea that I get here, there's tremendous power in the Lord's name and using the name of Jesus, but we have to be careful how we use it too. We have to be worthy of using it. We have to have a life that lines up with 
the teaching of Christ. We have to have a life submitted to Christ so that he can, can work through us. But it didn't really matter how it was used. The end result was that the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. People understood and came to reverence and, and fear even more when they saw what had happened here. Not everyone wants to acknowledge Jesus. You know, you can say that you believe in God and most of the world's not going to think you're that strange. But when you say you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that will, that will cause animosity with many, I'm sure. Jesus, the name of Jesus. In Philippians 2, it's a beautiful picture of, of Christ and reminding us of how he conducted himself. In verse 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, every knee will bow, and we gladly bow the knee here on earth, surrendering our wills to him, Acknowledging that he is the anointed of God. But every knee will bow at some point in, in eternity. If not time, when time is over at the judgment, everyone will confess and acknowledge who Jesus is. We are told we are not to take the name of the Lord, our God, in vain. And I think I mentioned it here not too long ago, but, you know, that, that to me as a child meant the bywords that people use. And that's a part of it, a very important part as we see here. But also, if we claim the name of Jesus and we don't walk worthy of, of that name, we take his name in vain. The name of Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. There was a song that I thought of as I was studying this. And it's one I haven't heard sung here very often. But it's at the name of Jesus. In verse 3 he says, Humbled for a season to receive a name from the lips of sinners unto whom he came.
And we see here in Hebrews chapter 2, we'll see that brought out. Let's read verses 5 through 18. This put in context is showing the superiority of Jesus over the angels and contrasting him with them. Verse 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak, but one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, and thou crownest him with glory and honor. Thou didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Forasmuch then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For, he, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. I'm shifting gears here a little bit in, in looking at Jesus and how the, the reason that he was able to have a name that is so powerful. And that is here that he subjected himself to humanity. He lowered himself to become a human. And Philippians 2 talks about that as well. He humbled himself. He came down. He, was, he lived in the flesh. He was tempted as we are. He suffered many things unjustly. And here it brings out that he experienced death. He tasted of death. That he in no way deserved. But because he was a, subjected himself to death, then he was able to overcome death. And therefore, he frees us from the strangling effect of the fear of death. Verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, that's one of the greatest evidences of power in the name of Jesus, I believe. We don't know the future. There is a lot of unknowns, and all of us would say that we have perhaps apprehensions about 
the future. The ultimate thing we don't know about is death. We don't know how it is experienced. We, don't, we, we see others, but nobody goes through it and gets to go through it again. At least very few. So we don't know. We can't say we've experienced it to know how it's going to be next time. I haven't been around a lot of dying people. I've heard stories. I've read accounts. Christians die peacefully. Many heathen do not. Because we have hope. We have power in the name of Jesus who overcame death. He was one that tasted death. He experienced death and now he is alive proving that death is not an end in and of itself for the believer. Are you afraid to die? Are you afraid to die? Is that a blessing? There's millions of people in the world right now, perhaps billions, that are afraid. They're trembling. They're worried. They're frightened. They are perhaps even paralyzed in their fear of death. How strongly do you want to live? Or is your desire to truly be alive, to truly be alive, or to be truly alive, just as strong? In Philippians 1, Paul is expressing his feelings, his testimony. Verse 18. I'm going to start there. Before that, he said, there are people that are preaching Christ to get me into trouble. There are people that want me to be harmed, to suffer. But he says, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I should be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. But Paul's here. So he's saying, even if I am, am beaten, even if I am killed for the name of Jesus, for the sake of Christ, he will be glorified. It doesn't matter whether I live or whether I die, Christ is magnified by my life. In verse 21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Is your life a faithful representation of Christ? Does your life faithful and worthy of the name of Jesus? Are you bearing that name faithfully? Christian. Little Christ. Verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, 
This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. I don't know which to choose because I, there's two options here, and they're both good options. I'm in a straight. I'm in a, a tough spot between a rock and a hard place because I'd rather just go and be with Jesus, which is far better. But you need me here. You need me here to encourage you and admonish you and pray for you. I'm in a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. There's some times I wonder, I'm not saying we shouldn't want to live, but if we don't want to die, maybe it's because we really aren't being don't have as much Christ exuding as we ought. Maybe our life isn't really here as much Christ. For me to live is Christ. The more Christ we live, the more ready we'll be to trade that for gain. Here again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't want to live and have a desire to live. But let's not fear death. And let's realize the power that the name of Christ should have in our lives to walk now and also what it will, will, will mean to us as we approach the unknown future. 2 Corinthians 5 talks a little bit about this as well. Beginning in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's speaking of our bodies, I believe, Tent is what is used other places. Our earthly house, so this tent for our, our spirit and soul to dwell in. If it were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not, that, not for that we should, would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who, is also, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor, catch this, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So, whether we are absent or present with the Lord, the admonition to us is the same. That we walk circumspectly, that we may be accepted of Him, that we may bear His name faithfully. Because all will appear before that judgment seat. All will bow the knee to the name of Jesus, the person of Jesus.
the Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste of what it's going to be like. We have peace. We have the earnest, the down payment of the Spirit that God is going to redeem us and give us new bodies, new tents. Romans 8 also speaks of this, and I don't believe I'm going to read those verses. If you care to, you can write that down. Romans 8, 18 to 25, and look that up. The whole creation groans. It's waiting for that change when it will be made new, made, made immortal. We are waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So what gives us this hope? I believe it's the name of Jesus and, and who it represents. Does the name of Jesus thrill you? I have a little book. It's a concordance of the church hymnal. And it's interesting. I went there looking for a song. That is a word, the word name, that is used. I didn't count the times, but a lot of words maybe are 5, 10, 15 times. That one was a page and a half or so. Name. It's something we sing a lot about. And it was in some of the songs we sang this morning. I forget now which one and where, but I thought about it. Well, the first song, we bless thy name, O Lord. Name, name, the name of Jesus, the name of God. Do you think on the name of Jesus? When you hear others use it in vain, does it disturb you? Does it, does it cause pain in your heart? Colossians 3 has sums it up in a good admonition. It says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. So, the name's pretty important to you. It better be. Because it says, Everything you do or say, you should do with the name of Jesus in the background of your mind or the forefront of your mind. How will this live up to the standard of Christ? What will this do for the witness of Christ? How will this be pleasing to Christ? So going back to my question at the beginning, how do you end your prayers or maybe begin your prayers? It's something that I don't think qualifies for a whole sermon on, but I'd like to, to make us think here a little bit. And maybe it's not that important, but there's a trend that I've noticed, and that is to pray. And instead of saying in Jesus' name, we say in your name. Have you heard that? In your name, amen. And I don't know who here may have said it or may not, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I've heard it a lot of other places, more so, I would say. Maybe it's not that big a deal, but I think it's, it's good to look at what Scripture teaches. And in John 15... If you want to turn there, chapter 15 of John and also 16 then, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he says, in John 15, I'll just start here, just read verse 16. It says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. We see there uh, uh, the way that they were to, to 
request from God. It says they should ask the Father in my name. And if you go down to chapter 16, verse 23, it says, And in that day, after I am, am risen from the dead, ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. They didn't pray in Jesus' name. They didn't come to God in the name of Jesus to this point. But he says, Now, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Ask. And you shall receive, that your joy may be full. I see here that we are to pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And you know, God hears the heart in the prayer of every sincere soul. And I'm not downing that at all or minimizing that. But you know, it, it helps me as I pray and as I think about what I'm saying and who I'm saying it to. Jesus doesn't say pray to me. He says pray to the Father. But it's only because of Jesus that we can have access to the Father. And often... I don't start a prayer, or I don't always end my prayer, perhaps, in Jesus' name, but I'll start it that way. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and for his sake, because of him. He's the only reason I have access to you. So maybe as you say, in Jesus' name, you'll understand a little bit more why you do. That's what gives us access to the Father. It's the power of that name that, that is to pervade all we do. We are to think of that name and the person it represents. I should encourage you to, to rejoice in the name of Jesus, to walk Daily in, in faith. To realize what Christ has done and what it does for us there and in, in how it frees us from that fear of death. And that we would be ready with the multitudes to fall at his feet and worship. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for this blessed privilege that we have to meet together and to worship you, to give you glory and honor and to exalt the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for the power that you demonstrated as Christ came, as he suffered, as he taught us many things and died and was buried and resurrected by your power, that we can see that his name alone is worthy to be praised. And I pray, Lord, that as we go throughout today and this week, the coming days and years as you tarry, that we would do all and say all with the thought of 
his person in our lives by the Holy Spirit that we could live lives faithful to you. So God, work in our hearts. Teach us what you need to teach us. Encourage us where we are discouraged. And by your Spirit, lead us into more, a more perfect and separated life for your, your glory here on this earth. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.